Welcome to the G3 Podcast. I'm Virgil Walker. I'm joined by Scott Annual and Josh Bice. Have to do that slow for a reason. It's a behind-the-scenes joke. You won't get it now. Uh, but uh, maybe, maybe one of these days we'll have a kind of a backup thing that yeah. people can behind take the scenes behind footage. the scenes or cutouts where I absolutely messed up. You know, <laughs> they'll be able to check all of that all of that out for for uh, for last. It would be like I mean, you know hours and hours of footage oh, of, of you messing up. Yeah, absolutely. No. Yeah, thanks take for that. Take seven. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> That said, listen, we have an amazing show planned for you. A lot of great things to talk about. I'm excited because the subject matter we're going to cover today is so germane to what's happening, uh, particularly in evangelicalism. I think we're going to answer a lot of great questions uh, that have been out there uh, about revival, revivalism. What is it? Is it authentic? All of those kinds of questions that are really permeating and percolating in the culture. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to make a quick announcement and just make you aware of a couple things that we have going on here at G3. Number one is our national conference, uh, the national conference that you do not want to miss. This is a biennial conference every other year. Uh, it will be happening September 21st through the 23rd uh, of this year. If you have not gone to g3men.org to get your tickets, you're absolutely missing out. Go, I, I mean, even stop right now. Push pause on this. Go to the go to the website uh, and, and register. Uh, it will be on the the sovereignty of God. Uh, the conference will be on the on the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Amazing speakers, amazing things that we're going to be doing in that space. Uh, we've got Paul Washer, we've got uh, Vody Bakum, we've got I mean uh, Stephen Lawson. You're going to be speaking. Uh, J- Josh is going to be speaking. It's it's going to be an amazing amazing time. Every day that I come in, we're planning something. You're going to be speaking. I'm going to be speaking. I just don't make mention of that for the most part, but I am excited. I'll be speaking there. Daryl Harrison uh, will be there. I mean, the list goes on. I think we're up to about 15 speakers at this point. With additions to come, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. with additions to come. He's he's looking at me because he knows that I've got some plans in the works, but I have to get those past him. So we'll see how that all, we'll see how that all. I all, have some plans in the works, too. I bet you do. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back and watch. Gonna, <laughs> Stay out of it. No. Going to watch it all unfold. Well, listen, you'll want to be in that space. You'll want to join us. So I'm going to encourage you. Join us September 21st uh, through the 23rd uh, here at uh, in Atlanta for the G3 conference. That said, I want to jump into our conversation today. Uh, uh, Josh, I'm going to have you kind of tee us up as it relates to revival, revivalism, uh, all of the things that we're seeing go on currently. Um, your assessment of the lay of the land, what's going on, how, could, how should we be framing these ideas up? Yeah, I mean, obviously revival is a good subject, right? I mean, we think of the subject of revival. We think of, you know, what the Bible says. And you can go to the Psalms in Psalm 85, a Psalm of the sons of Korah. Mm. And you hear in verse 4 the language, Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? And then he goes on, and then again we see this in verse number in verse number six, will you will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And so you hear the language of restoration, the language of revival. Obviously, you can go to other places in the scriptures and the Psalms, and you can see that language of revival. Mm-hmm. You can go to the New Testament and you can see, you know, when Peter preaches at Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved. Uh, again, I think we need to differentiate 
terminology. Mm. We need to be able to think in terms of what does it mean to be revived? Yeah. What does it mean to be awakened? So an awakening, a revival, even a reformation. Mm. We need to be thinking about those terms and using those terms with precision. But I thought, you know, with, with everything that's happening today, I mean, obviously, here we are with, you know, this, this cultural movement that has now taken place mm-hmm. that's been sweeping literally across the nation, um, starting there at Asbury University mm-hmm. in Kentucky, and has sparked really a lot of questions about yeah. what does this mean? Yeah. And people are asking questions, I think, earnest questions and, and really good questions. But immediately when you start seeing this, this whole quote-unquote revival that's now sparked on this university campus, immediately the masses start talking about this is definitely the Spirit of God moving. This is going to be a, you know, another revival that's mm-hmm. going to sweep how you, across. How dare you question it? Yeah, and if you do question it, <laughs> then you're going to be blasted as a result of mm-hmm. it. And, you, and again, even just a little bit of a critique um, that I've put out there. I wrote an article about this revival and the local church yep. and, you know, what that does to the local church and how we need to be thinking about the local church. I know, Scott, mm-hmm. you've written on the subject of revival, specifically, you know, applying uh, uh, the, the scriptures to this right. specific thing. But but the point is, is we need to be asking ourselves honest questions about how do we evaluate a moment like this mm-hmm. And how do we apply the scriptures to, uh, you know, a cultural scene like this and to do so with a bit of charity? Yeah. I think that that's important because obviously you have different positions, right? You have some that might say, well, because they're not, you know, you know, checking all of the the five, you know, points of Calvinism. Right, right. This is not a reformed university. They could not possibly experience (laughs) revival. Then you have others that are so quickly to just jump in a car and and rush over mm-hmm. to this university and mm-hmm. stand in line for hours mm-hmm. before they could get into the chapel with the whole goal of catching it right. to bring it back to mm-hmm. their own local church. Right. That language almost sounds like they're catching the flu. Yeah. I mean, like, is it COVID-19 or right. some, <laughs> some sort of bacteria that you catch? Right. Obviously, we need to be thinking in terms of how we speak about the Spirit of God. The yeah. Spirit of God is God. Yeah. Right. And I think that oftentimes in, in moments like this, we can see that the Spirit of God is, is talked about in ways that the Spirit of God never intended himself to be spoken yeah. of. Yeah. When we think about moments like this, obviously you, you start watching interviews and listening mm-hmm. to the conversations, and obviously there have been thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of people there on, on the campus and when you evaluate, you hear far more about the Spirit right. than you do about Christ right. or about the Trinity as a whole. You hear the Spirit. I want to get more of the Spirit. I want to feel the moving of the Spirit. I want to experience wave after wave after wave of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And, and that's problematic. Yeah. So I thought, you know, as we started this conversation, mm-hmm. it would be good to have you know, the music guy here. <laughs> Lead us in a historic hymn. Maybe something like this one. That's that's right from the hit the psalm you just you just quoted.
However, <laughs> that's not what's been that's taking what's place been, yeah. inside yeah. the chapel. Yeah, I, yeah. I, th- I think it's, I think, and I love how you set that up. With as we look at this, I know people were racing to get there for the purpose of obtaining an experience. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I didn't go there. You didn't go there. But we but we witnessed. All of what we saw in social media, which which is what was promoted as this every everyone who went there began that process by having witnessed something online, mm-hmm. either in a social media space mm-hmm. or, or, or what have you. And so they've seen this and then they're, they're racing to get there with the preconception that this is something they're going to experience rather than having from the outset biblical categories by which to determine what is what, like what's a revival? What am I going into? Mm -hmm. They have preconceived ideas about that based upon a a tweet. So now, now rather than scripture being the standard by which we make judgments about what we're walking into, what we begin with is a a tweet Mm -hmm. uh, rather than really having kind of biblical categories for how to, for how to navigate. That's exactly what made me, sort of skeptical, admittedly skeptical towards the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, you, you see these posts and I refrain from really drawing any conclusions or, or making any statements initially. I was like, okay, let's see what's going on. But then two things really sort of, I think, led many of us to start asking questions. And one was this like language that you're talking about, Josh, about we, we got to go and catch this thing yeah. uh, kind of language, which reveals and just illustrates the primary primary, you know, issue that made me skeptical and that is just how pentecostalized our 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 evangelicalism has yeah. gotten mm-hmm. today to where that that's how we're defining revival and spiritual experience by by these sorts of uh you know like you said waves and waves of the presence of God that sort of thing. But then the other thing and I think this gets to what both of you have just said the other thing that that made me want to ask hard questions about this is that there seemed to be this assumption that, well, of course revival is taking place mm-hmm. without ever asking the question, what is revival mm-hmm. biblically? Yeah. Right. Where is our starting point? Their starting point is experience. Their exactly. starting point is, oh, I can just feel the weight of yeah. the Spirit in this room rather than what does Scripture say, mm-hmm. A, B, Let's talk about what God's people throughout history have referred to as revival. That's right. Based on the scriptures, then finally see, let's assess what's happening. And that hasn't happened. Absolutely. In, in that circle. Absolutely. Uh, again, uh, everything about this movement has been built upon, like you said, emotions mm-hmm. and crowds. Mm-hmm. And if crowds are there and you feel something special in the room, regardless of whether or not unbiblical and doctrinally deficient songs or, right. you know, being sung for like right. around the over clock. Over and over again, yeah. Um, or, you know, women mm. are standing up and speaking in tongues or, you know, just just the most outlandish things are happening in the life of, of this movement. It has to be the Spirit of God. And then, of course, when we critique it, mm-hmm. then the next thing that comes is, is you know, a statement like this. Well, well, if one person gets saved, it's all worth it. Right, right. Well, that's just pragmatism, right, right. You know, and right. so again, the Bible teaches us to evaluate, to test the spirits. First John four, and so we should actually be asking these questions. Right. We should be applying this grid 
to this movement, and we should be asking honest questions about whether or not this is of the Lord or whether it was planned. And again, I think if we get into the you know the nitty gritty details, mm-hmm. I think it's quite obvious that it was more than just a powerful sermon that was preached. Right you know, that drove people to repentance Mm -hmm. and begging God to, you know, forgive them and to restore them, you know, as a result of, of, you know, coming face to face with God. Mm -hmm. That's not what we saw happening. And so as we evaluate, like you said, Scott, not only the scriptures, but as you go back through history and you look at, you know, what we see in terms of genuine awakenings or a genuine movement of God, um, it, it always starts with the Word of God. Mm. The Word of God being preached, the Word of God, you know, is central. And in this movement, you see something else. Mm-hmm. It started off with an after-chapel service, right. little, you know, get-together with some, you know... Just singing. Yeah, mm-hmm. singing of songs and mm-hmm. praying together, which, by the way, is not a bad thing. Nope. So we want Gen Z students getting together and singing mm-hmm. biblically, mm-hmm accurate songs mm-hmm. and praying together and studying the Bible together. Mm-hmm. But then there's a message from, say, the president of the university that, you know, encourages, you know, people to go out right. and, you know, see what's happening in the chapel there's service. There's an outpouring of the Spirit with right. the exact language. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 But now yeah. there's reports that, you know, some things were planned by Francis Chan and Rick Warren and others leading up to this and sort of, you know, uh, priming the pump for just the right moment for something like this to happen. And so, again, it's critically important that we evaluate things like this according to the Word of God and then to be able to say, you know what, Um, God is omnipresent. I don't have to jump in a car and run down to that university to get more of God. Mm -hmm. He is here Mm -hmm. with us right now in my living room, in this studio, in our own local churches, Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? We, we can experience God through his word the way right. that God has intended, yeah. and we don't have to go looking for the extraordinary. And again, I want to I move us to that conversation here in just a moment. Yeah. I think we have conditioned the church today through horrible VBS light worship services, VBS for adult <laughs> worship services, really shallow um, youth ministries, have conditioned the church right now to be consistently looking beyond the church Mm -hmm. to the extraordinary Mm -hmm. and to be absolutely bored to tears Mm -hmm. with the local church. Yeah, absolutely. I I want to touch on something that all of us have mentioned in the course of just the first part of our conversation, and that is being planted and anchored in understanding and and viewing what we're seeing through the lens of Scripture. Mm. We constantly say that. But what's interesting to the point that, Josh, you just made is that we have have developed a church culture who sees um, anything related to Scripture as God in the box. Yeah. Right. We you, well, we don't want to put God in the box. Right. right. If we if we put God in the box and he'll want to do something outside of the box and that'll be, you know, and, and scripture is sufficient enough. The revelation of God is sufficient enough, even in the scripture, in the text of scripture to see that he can do the extraordinary uh, far beyond anything we can ask or think uh, yep. as it relates to what scripture has to say. So we don't we don't need some ex- external revelation mm-hmm. of God for God to do the extraordinary, right? Yeah, we could absolutely. we can depend upon scripture. It's, it's not us putting God in a box. God God has an order and a plan 
in history. We, mm. There's this perception, and again, it's largely just because of really post-Finney revivalism yeah. and then post-Azusa you know, Azusa Pentecostalism totally. that views particularly the Spirit of God. Mm. If the Spirit of God is at work, the assumption is, it's going to be disorderly. Mm-hmm. It's going to be outside of what we expect. When in reality, if you look, for instance, at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, in a passage entirely dedicated to the Spirit's work in worship, mm. it's the, the emphasis is on the orderliness of what that will look like. Absolutely. Right? God, God, the Spirit of God, if you trace his actions throughout history, yes, of course, God can do whatever he wants. Yes, of course, sometimes God has chosen to do things in extraordinary ways. But the normal way in which the Spirit of God works is to bring to order the plan and purposes of That's God, right. Right. whether that be in sanctification, in regeneration, even in the uh, the delivery of the revelation of God. Mm-hmm. That those were those are all miraculous things. Revelation, regeneration, sanctification, those are miraculous works of the spirit of right, God. Right. But he has chosen to do all of those things in an orderly way. Right. And so it's not we who are putting God in a box. God has told us how he plans to work. And so we ought to interpret our experiences through, through the, the lens, lens of, of what Scripture mm-hmm. teaches God has said is, is his normal way of working in history. Right. The other thing that we see often with whether it's this movement or, or any movement in particular, uh, especially in our modern day, is a deficiency uh, as it relates to uh, the gospel proclamation. Mm. Right. Uh, we, I mean, when you begin, and, and again, I, I, I've known this, I've done street evangelism for, for, for many years back in the day, and uh, you ask Christians, I've got, got an old, old video I'll, I'll have to share with you guys on YouTube of me asking believers at an event, uh, what, what does it take to be, become a, a believer in Christ? Uh, tell, me, tell me what the gospel is. And folks have a difficult time, even folks who claim to be Christian, uh, articulating that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Unfortunately, when you see this quote-unquote movement, this massive movement of God, uh, m- more times than not, if you listen to the messages, they're gospel deficient. Yeah. Uh, what they end up being is, is kind of a gospel of breaking strongholds, yeah. right? It's this idea that, man, this stronghold in my life was broken uh, rather than the, the, the gospel of, of, you know, of salvation based upon the finished work of Christ. Yeah. And so I, I, I just I see that time and time again. It's, it's sad to see it. But I think a point you made earlier, which was, you know, if, if one gets saved, it, it's worth it. Well, we're hopeful. Uh, that somebody does get saved and, and that it's a true, genuine conversion that yeah. we see over the course of time. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I was saved, you know, listening to a, a really bad sermon on mm-hmm. the Internet. Right. OK, right. so God can save people sure. and he will save people. Mm-hmm. He will accomplish his purpose. Mm-hmm. But the reality is um, we we need to be pressing the church in the direction of health and, and proper discernment. And to be able to think in terms of biblical categories, biblical language, and then to move beyond this idea that, you know, we need to go catch the spirit. And, mm-hmm. you know, you see these people and they're and it's like they're just like it's like they're trying to to, to bring the spirit of God into their into the pores of their skin, mm-hmm. like waving yeah. him in their direction. Yeah. It's bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but again, I, I think what you said a moment ago, Scott, is critically important. When you start looking at the way that you know revival and this language is used, um, w- w- we need to be very mindful of what's happened historically. Mm-hmm. And so you think about Finney. You mentioned Finney. Mm-hmm. 
you see that language that he was using, like waves. Mm -hmm. And then you see that Finney, come Finney up. literally said waves and waves and waves of liquid love. Yeah. That's a, that's you know a Finney quote. We should just name the, th this episode of yeah. the podcast that. Waves and waves of liquid love. Of liquid love. That's just nasty, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you go to social media, you can actually go to uh, Todd Bentley, who's a false teacher. Mm -hmm. You can go and see where he spent a few days at this Asbury revival. Mm -hmm. And what language does he use? Mm -hmm. Waves and waves. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then if you go to other individuals, like, say, Robbie Gallaty, who's within evangelical circles, like mm -hmm. much more closely aligned with, with like SBC, Nine Marks circles, mm -hmm. all of that. He writes an article, a review of this movement, because he and some staff members went and sat in the balcony, and the language that comes up in his review is waves. Interesting, yeah. And so, again, you're just consistently right. seeing this idea. But, again, if you go back and look historically at, um, say, uh, the different revivals that have popped up, mm -hmm. okay, well, one of the red flags in this particular movement at Asbury is is the, the very fact that they have a web page on their website mm -hmm. that chronicles, right. guess yeah. what, revivals mm -hmm. and where yeah. at their at campus. Their, right. campus yeah. And they and all happen you, to happen in February. And February is a hot <laughs> month for it, right? Yeah, so yeah. if you look at that, but then you start looking at, at these other... I was, I was going to make a black history joke, but I'm going to leave it. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> keep it clean. I'm going to keep, keep it, yeah. It clean. <laughs> um, but... At, but, but, but again, if you just survey uh, history, uh, church history, and if you survey the charismatic movement, you mm -hmm. see, you know, you've got the Brownsville movement, mm -hmm. you've got the Azusa Street uh, Revival mm -hmm. movement, mm -hmm. you've got the Toronto Blessing, mm -hmm. you've got all these different... The vineyard movements. The, and, yeah, I mean, all these movements. Yeah. And oftentimes it involved <laughs> people taking these pilgrimages mm -hmm. over to get some more of the spirit, to take it back to their own geographic location, to their local churches. And it's just a backwards approach. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I said earlier that, that we've been so Pentecostalized, which yeah. I think is true, but mm -hmm. it actually goes even further back mm -hmm. again to Finney. I mean, my students throughout the years of teaching, they, they know it, everything's Finney's fault. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's, 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 there's a, there's a watershed moment with Charles Finney in, in the influence that he and his teaching had on evangelicalism. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That definitely takes another step with Pentecostalism oh, in, in the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. But Finney, with Finney, you see this shift from understanding something like revival, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. or, you know, mass conversion or even individual conversion and sanctification, right. Right. a shift from, this is a sovereign work of God mm -hmm. to it is the responsibility of the preacher to engineer things to a certain extent to where we can be assured that this is going to happen. Right. So Finney is the is is, is the one advocating for what he calls new measures. Mm -hmm. uh, Finney is 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 at least semi-Pelagian in his theology, meaning he thinks every person still has sort of a spark of goodness within them. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite quotes of him, not because I think it's a good quote, but because I think it's a revealing quote, is, is Finney said, there must be excitement sufficient to wake up the dormant moral powers. Mm -hmm. In other words, if you want to see revival, wow. everybody has these dormant goodnesses within them, and the way that you awaken that is through excitement. Yeah. And aren't we seeing the fruit of that now, yes. right? Where everybody's attracted to, the, to this excitement because that's what 
creates revival, and it's not God's surprising work. We might try to attribute it to him, but it's actually us doing the right things Mm. so that, oh, look, when we plan to have revival, it actually happened because we did everything right, and now God is going to work. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And, and, And again, to that point, Scott, you see not only Finney in that specific time period, but you see the fruit of Finney mm-hmm. that has greatly impacted, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention. Absolutely. I mean, you just see that in the ministry of Billy Graham. Mm-hmm. You see, you know, all of these, all of these uh, uh, movements uh, just ebbing and flowing, the ripple effects, if you will, going throughout evangelicalism. And that's why you see, you know, so much of this, you know, fight historically within the Southern Baptist Convention on whether or not we should have, you know, altar calls. Right. And all of this is connected to mm-hmm. this Finney idea. Popularized that idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we have to think biblically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. Yeah. But you mentioned preaching and you mentioned the proclamation of the word of God. And I think we need to, you know, evaluate this movement in light also of the local church mm-hmm. and what happens with a movement like this and how we think about the local church. Again, you have, I, I can't help but think of, you know, the enormous amount of students that's, you know, they fill up an auditorium. They're just hyped up on emotion. They're eating tacos at two o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. driving back to the campus, singing praise song after praise song after praise song, testimony after testimony after testimony, very little preaching. Mm-hmm. And what has been preached, at least from what I've been able to see when I've gotten on the website and tried to watch live stream and, you know, obviously some of the, the published videos, you know, the preaching has been greatly deficient, mm-hmm. greatly deficient. Yeah. But what does this do to the local church? I think one thing it does, back to what I said earlier, it tries to, you know, press this idea in the hearts and minds of young people that really the local church is boring yeah. and we need something else. Yes. And that's why it is that you have all of these conferences. And I'm not against conferences. I think everyone that might be watching this or listening to this podcast knows really well, I am not against conferences. Mm-hmm. Right. But this idea of, okay, well, we've got to have a passion conference. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, we have to have some sort of, you know, uh, like radical movement. Mm-hmm. The local church is boring. Right. If you want to be on the front lines of the battlefield, you need to be in this this radical movement, this passion movement, or whatever movement it might be. And we teach young people that the local church is just dead Mm. and that it's not really exciting Mm -hmm. and that the Spirit of God doesn't move in the local church. And so we're aiming, instead of Acts 2, we should be aiming at Titus 2, but these movements teach to ignore Titus 2 and to aim back at Acts 2. Yeah, and it's almost a double whammy because not only are they always, you know, frantically searching after these big, exciting, extraordinary things, but they're not. But you know, they're not even doing so in 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 any rootedness in what Scripture promises God will use to convert sinners and to sanctify Christians. Because even you know, has God throughout biblical history and throughout church history, has God at certain times chosen? 
to, for example, save a lot of people mm-hmm. at one time in a particular location. Yeah. It seems so, right? Whether we're talking about Pentecost, which is a unique event, yeah. or, or even in other times, yes. But when he does that, A, it's his sovereign choice. Again, mm-hmm. it's not something we engineered. And as I think both of you have said already, it's primarily through the faithfully preached mm-hmm. word. In other words... God does extraordinary things, not because we have done some sort of extraordinary thing, but because we have just done the regular, what some people might call ordinary, yeah, even yeah. though they really are not ordinary, right. but the ordinary things that God has has prescribed for us the, to do. The primary yeah. means the of preaching grace. of God's yeah, word, yeah. the reading of scripture, and, and, and et cetera. Yeah. Um, I, we, I just recently watched... You know, our good friends at Reformation Heritage Books put out a documentary on revival. Yeah. And what struck me is that it's really not about the extraordinary things that happened. It's about godly men who are faithful in the preaching of the word mm-hmm. in the context of local churches. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying we've got to be in a, in a particular building. No, but it is within the context of a biblical church mm-hmm. where the ordinary means of grace are, are, are just carrying along as normal. And then... God can certainly choose to to send a mighty work in which a lot of people come to Christ or a lot of people are sanctified. Yeah. But it's but it's because they're faithful to what God has prescribed. When when you when you talked about about kind of, kind of historically what we what we know to be true about about the, the preaching of the word, what we know to, to be be shaping in our lives when we interact with that. When we were talking earlier uh, about Jonathan Edwards mm-hmm. uh, and about the fact that we had we had historically speaking from a standpoint of church history, we had categories for these kinds of ideas, mm-hmm. right? You had the affections and, and how the how your affections were turned based upon a, a process of, of of a regenerative work in the heart of the believer. Yeah, the truth and the truth of scripture. And the truth yeah. of scripture. You, you you had folks who were uh, who understood emotion <clears throat> as something yeah. separate from affections, uh, and those ideas were helpful to provide categories for what we're seeing. Yeah, but even Jonathan Edwards, and God used Jonathan Edwards in a powerful way. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God is the most famous sermon in the history of America. Mm -hmm. Um, However, um, Jonathan Edwards did not allow for massive chaos Mm -hmm. and disruptions in his meetings. Mm -hmm. And it should should be noted. Mm -hmm. Um, God was moving in an extraordinary, powerful way under his preaching but he did not look to the extraordinary being, you know, manifest in chaos. Right, right. And so I think, you know, Scott, you mentioned 1 Corinthians earlier, and so you go later throughout the New Testament, and you're seeing the church becoming much more organized than mm-hmm. it was in Acts. Mm-hmm. But even immediately after this explosion, you know, at Pentecost, I mean, you just have 120 in the upper room mm-hmm. and, you know, tongues of fire— come upon them, the Spirit of God empowers them, they go out into the streets. Pentecost was bringing people from the outskirts of the city Mm -hmm. to, you know, the the, the marketplace of of the city. So it was just bulging with and pulsating with people. Mm -hmm. And Peter goes out into the midst of the crowds, and what does he do? Does he gather everyone and say, let's all sing some songs together. Uh, I have a guitar, and we're just all going to sing, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to give testimony after testimony. No, 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 that's not what he does. Mm -hmm. He preaches, and he preaches a a very rich, doctrinally sound sermon, which results in the salvation of 3,000 people. But then immediately, what do you see happening? It's not disorder. It's not confusion. Mm -hmm. It is not chaos. Mm -hmm. 
it is order. Right. Yeah. They're they're numbering yep. the people. Added to their number. Yeah. So they're they're trying to figure out who is actually a convert mm-hmm. so that they can pastor these people. They baptize them. Mm-hmm. And then immediately verses forty two to forty seven yep. of Acts two, they are together and they are orderly and they are gathered together for the purpose of worship under the the apostles teaching right and then there's fellowship there's the breaking of bread which two times is mentioned once for fellowship and once for the lord's table Mm -hmm. you have the functionality of the early church it 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 doesn't have to wait all the way until you get to say you know ephesians or first corinthians before things start to get Mm -hmm. organized things are organized like the very next day that's such a key point because this is a time you know we we believe that tongues today have ceased. But this is a time in Acts 2 when tongues are clearly being Absolutely. practiced for a particular reason. Don't need to get into all of that. But if if in a time in which something that extraordinary mm-hmm. was actually being practiced, they didn't try to sustain it. They didn't, okay, now now the 3,000 people come to Christ. Let's see if we can hang around in a chapel and yeah. speak in tongues for, yeah. for a week. Right. No, yeah. it was devotion to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship and the prayers, like you said, organization into local churches, we, we have this impression that, oh, well, in the early years, there was all these extraordinary things going on all, all, all over the place. Well, no, there were, but they were for a particular reason, and they were actually relatively rare. Yeah. yeah, and then beyond the Acts 2 moment, as we've just discussed, when things become much more orderly and and organized, what you see happening after that is you still see some extraordinary things happening. Sure. But when God performs those extraordinary moments, it results in what? The fear of God in the people. Right. People yep. are you know suddenly dropped dead, mm-hmm. and then they're dragged out and they're buried. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, you know, even in the Acts two passage, you see that the, the apostles were performing signs and wonders among the people, and it resulted in the fear of God right. in their hearts. Mm-hmm. What you don't see is a lot of chaos, mm-hmm. and what you don't see. Uh, as a result of the extraordinary power of God, is people, you know, you know, embracing one another and jumping up and down and singing and dancing and acting as Summer if camp kind something of. is weird. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You don't see that. Yep. Yeah. You see, you see people, you know, uh, moved to a place of humility, yeah. self-examination, mm-hmm. and submission to yeah. God. Yeah. You said it this way in your article. You said Pentecost didn't lead to the church. Didn't lead the Pentecost rather didn't lead the church toward Pentecost 2.0. Uh, the Spirit led the ch- led the church to orderly worship, serious discipleship, mm-hmm. and faithful evangelism yep. and and you you use that section to kind of talk about uh, how extraordinary movements like we talked about in Acts 2 directed God's people to the ordinary mm-hmm. uh, the problem I think in our culture today is especially in evangelicalism is we're so we, we have mimicked we have mimicked society as a whole right uh, we have we have amped up on the steroid of feelings and emotion yeah. uh, and we've brought that into the church believing that the next big thing that we need to experience is some some uh, some emotion Emotional or or, or uh, emotive related right, right. Uh, kind of kind of experience yeah. rather than rather than what what God lays out in His yeah, word. Yeah, Josh, you mentioned Edwards earlier and his care, mm-hmm. and it, it's so helpful because Ed, Edwards defended the fact that sometimes when people come under true conviction of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. they're going to feel things, yep. and sometimes they they might cry out or they might faint or whatever. He he defended that, but when that happened in his congregation. He very quickly removed those individuals right. 
to a private room where they would be counseled because he didn't want the other people in the congregation to think that, oh, we need to do that too, or get artificially caught up in the moment, uh. which again is exactly what we're seeing not only in, in Asbury, but in, in, a, in a lot of Pentecostal and revivalistic circles where the entire goal is to, is to use that sort of group dynamic yeah. to, to raise the level of energy, which then people define as waves and waves of God's presence. Right, right. And no, it's just emotion. Emotion is yeah. not bad, but it's not the presence of God. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think one thing I wanted to mention as well, and, and that's spot on, Scott, but I would also say that perhaps one of the critiques that we might receive, um, even as a result of this this episode of the podcast, would be that we just don't, you know, really appreciate a student-led movement like this. Right. And the fact is, uh, you know, again, in my article, I, I put my finger on the issue that when you turn it over to just being a student-led movement— then the wisdom of the room is greatly diminished. Yeah. And again, you know, this idea that, well, you know, it, just because it's student-led doesn't mean it's bad. I would totally agree with that. But what I am suggesting is that we don't need to just say, well, we just need to turn it over to the students to just do whatever they want to do. Because mm-hmm. if you do that, guess what they're going to do? Right. Well, they're going to continue this because they, number one, they don't want to take another exam. <laughs> right. All right. Number two, it's fun. Right. Mm-hmm. Number two, there's a great sense of community that's being built. Yeah. Number four, uh, the whole world seems to be watching and showing up on their campus. Mm-hmm. They seem to be a part of something. And eating tacos at three o'clock in the morning is probably a fun thing. Right. right? right. But the reality is, is, you know, just like in the life of the church, the church needs the elderly to be able to provide us with wisdom Mm -hmm. to ground us in truth so that we're not just led astray by hype. And just because something is hype doesn't mean that it's of the Lord. And we have to be honest about that. I would say in my defense about, you know, student-led movements, if you go back and study the Reformation, you you can see that in many ways there was a a student-led movement that happened, and you can look at, you know, the White Horse Inn, and you can see students that are gathered together. Mm -hmm. Tyndale was a part of that group. Mm -hmm. They're reading Martin Luther's writings. They would be led, you know, to, to, you know, translate the Bible into the common man's language. It would eventually be typeset, it would be spread about, it would, it would spark this thing that we call the Protestant Reformation. Right. But when you study the history of the Reformation, what you don't see is just a whole bunch of students getting together in chaos, singing songs, embracing one another, and jumping up and down dancing until 3 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Right, right. As as someone you guys both know, I I came out of that kind Mm -hmm. of charismatic movement to the point you made earlier, Scott, which was about, um, you know, outbursts and things like that. And, you know, you, you can you can witness uh, in those settings, uh, someone speaks out, cries out, uh, and, and that kind of uh, euphoric expression, mm-hmm. uh, how that can take over an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and those things can, in, in many instances, be manipulated. The thing that strikes me, um, Josh, as I think about where I was in that time, uh, as I was processing, as I'm watching, my thought is about people like me who didn't have the theological gravitas that that, that you that you men have the the, the 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 understanding that you have the education that you have formalized education and other uh, other words that, that, that you have. I, I was I, all, that was all I knew. Mm-hmm. That was that was all that was the only thing I had been taught. Right. And so for me, sincere at heart, I'm trying to. Yeah. They're telling me that this is what quote unquote pressing in looks like. Right. This is what experiencing God looks like. Right. 
And so for me, that that was that was the only framework that I had. And mm-hmm. so if, if they were telling me it was the it was the you know hold on or press it, I was I was trying to do that to the best of my ability. And I, I would have walked away from that thinking that I'd experienced God. Right. Only to then again look for the next wave exactly. of that to take place, and so it, it really is a it's it's a spiritual diet that is not healthy yeah. in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's like crash dieting, right? Yeah, right. I mean, you like you're really good for a while, and then you balloon yeah. out, and then yeah. you're really good for a while, and then you balloon back out. So you you need to be on this path that's sustainable, right. and I think that again, that's why I mentioned in the article that we shouldn't be aiming, you know, at Acts 2. We should mm-hmm. actually be aiming at Titus yeah. 2 because that's the sustainable model that, that God that's gives right. us. That, that's, the, that's a big point I made in my article, too, is what what have we been promised and what have we been instructed to do? It's not that can't that God can't or won't do miraculous, you know, the sending of his spirit for the purpose of many people coming to Christ. He mm-hmm. can, and he, he absolutely can, of course, and, and, and it seems like he has in church history. But that's not that shouldn't be our expectation. That's yeah. not what we've been promised. We haven't been promised, you know, things to get better and better and and more and more people until finally there's a time of refreshing and the kingdom of God is here because right. you know because it's been ushered in by, by whatever. No, we've been promised work hard, pursue sanctification mm-hmm. through the Word of God, ordinary means of grace. And your point earlier, Virgil, I think is key in all of this, and that is, you know, there's there's probably a lot of these students are. They're sincere. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't really fault them. They've sort of been conditioned in That's this right. way. Mm-hmm. But to your point, Josh, where are the leaders? Yeah. Where are the elders? You know, they, they, they. We would. We love to see young people on fire for the Lord, but we all know. You know, eighteen to twenty-five year olds are hormonal and emotional, and and if they're not taught, we're just going to let them do whatever feels right. right. Yeah. No, let's let's encourage them in what appears to be sincerity, mm-hmm. but then let's teach them from the Word of God yeah. that they ought not to be chasing after these highs, yeah. but rather connect to a local church, yeah. submit yourself to the authority of the preaching of God's Word and the ordinary means of grace within a church. That is how sustainable spiritual yeah. growth takes place. The, dis- the disappointing thing that I see in that, Scott, is that the thought or the belief that in order for 18 to 25-year-olds to connect, that what's required is this hyper-emotional experience mm-hmm. or expression. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I served as the discipleship pastor for six years and got a chance in, to, to work out with college and career-age young people. And what I witnessed in their lives as you unpacked Scripture and made it clear to them, and they got a clear understanding of what they were reading and what they were learning and how it applied to their lives— they were even much more passion-filled about about their walk, about their journey. Mm-hmm. When you when you bring light, light then produces heat. Absolutely. Um, and so you'll see the, the the exuberance, the excitement, but it's attached to a, a deeper understanding right. of what is actually in the pages of Scripture. Yeah. Again, you know, you think about the life of the local church. I, I think about the small, you know, church, say three and a half miles from Asbury University. And I just have to ask the honest question, you know, what what happens to that church in mm-hmm. the midst of all of this chaos? Yeah. You know, or should, should all of the Christians run down there? And then what about the 75 year old couple that's, mm-hmm. you know, seated on the church pew in a greatly empty auditorium on the Lord's Day? Because everyone has to be down there to be a part right. of the hype. Exactly. 
Yeah. You know, again, it's not that just the Gen Zers need the 75-year-olds, but it's the 75-year-olds sure. yeah. that need the Gen yeah. Zers, right. too. Yeah. Right. Right. I thought that, too. Like, if, if this was truly a revival, then they would have sent people to church on the Lord's Day. Yeah. But they didn't because of this whole, well, the, that's where the Spirit is. I mean, I mm-hmm. saw one one viral testimony of one of, the, one of the kids who was saying, you know, Jesus localized his throne in this chapel, and so I wanted to be here. <laughs> where in the world do we even find that kind of thing expressed right. in Scripture, right. right? So it's very shallow theologically, and then, uh, and then we've got to go to this one place. I mean, I saw videos of people sort of standing on the lawn, and they're just like, gazing at this chapel like yeah. it's the like i mean it really you know conjures up the image of the old testament where this kind of glory is on the holy of holies mm-hmm. when in reality again theologically we need to instruct people god, god that's god's presence is not in this sort of visible localized right. uh, a place anymore no mm-hmm. god's presence is Number one, indwelling every believer. Mm-hmm. Number two, especially in the local church, in the ecclesia, yeah. under the preaching of God's word. You want God's presence? Sit under the preaching of God's word. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you guys this as, as we kind of begin to uh, kind of uh, land the plane a little bit. Is there any benefit to what we witnessed uh, in Asbury? Is, is, there, is there anything beneficial mm. about about what we saw video-wise or otherwise, or, or maybe just uh, opening up the, the conversation about what, what, what is and isn't? What, what, are yeah. you, what are you guys thinking about with regard to that? Well, one, one comment I might make, you know, we've said a couple times, you know, what, what if somebody got saved or what? Could, could there be individuals who, who were converted because of what happened? Sure. Uh, could there have been people who were strengthened in their faith because of what happened? Sure. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're always going to be, you know, happy about that. Were there far more people hindered and harmed spiritually because of false expectations, because of errant theology? That's my fear, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and so, is there good? I mean, certainly there could be some good in some people's lives. It sure, it certainly is maybe positive because it's opened up conversations like this, mm-hmm. you know. I'm I'm more fearful though of just feeding the unbiblical expectations of what the spirit of God is, of what we ought to be seeking after, the harm it does like was your point Josh to the, to the to the local church mm-hmm. which is the local church is God's means for his work in this age. Absolutely. Can God work outside? Sure he can. But he has told us he is going to work in and through the church. Anything that harms that, I think, is dangerous. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. You know, G three exists for the purpose of strengthening local churches. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, you know, we're passionate about mm-hmm. that very mm-hmm. thing, and yeah. so we want to guard against you know some sort of movement that removes people from or their interest in the local church. Right. And so we want to certainly address that, and that's one of the reasons that I wrote the article. But. But again, what we want to do is we, uh, in terms of benefits, you know, it, it allows for us to have a conversation just like this one. Mm-hmm. And I think that it can stretch us to think about defining our terms properly, to being able to talk about the Spirit of God properly, yeah. to, you know, think in terms of what is an awakening, what is a revival. Yeah. But also, I think it's important for us to say, okay, now six months from now, mm-hmm. you know, when there are, you know, perhaps thousands of people that went and stood in a trance-like state, mm-hmm. you know, in the lawn, just gazing towards the auditorium. When they came home and they were on a spiritual low because their expectations were not met, mm-hmm. you know, it sort of reminds us of historically what the Roman Catholic Church has done to people. Yep. Mm-hmm. Send them on a pilgrimage, you know, mm-hmm. s- send them to Rome to see all of these 
different artifacts mm-hmm. and you know just like Luther went up the Scala Sancta and you know he mm-hmm. gets to the very top after praying on every single stair up to the very top you know uh, in Rome and he he comes to the top stair and he says who knows if it's even real right mm. You know, and and so that would eventually lead Luther to, you know, self-examination and God would use moments like that to show him that it was all fake. And so I think we need to, you know, use opportunities like this to have really healthy conversations. I hope that people would use this as an opportunity to also learn that, you know, anytime that there's a biblical critique, it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. Yeah. It, yeah. it allows for us to evaluate everything according to the lens of Scripture, and mm-hmm. I think that the church can be strengthened by that. Yeah, Absolutely, that's a good word. That's a good word. I, I, I'm excited about this conversation. I'm hoping that it was uh, edifying for people to have some some particular lanes by which to examine things, uh, uh, particular categories by uh, by way to think uh, about these things, and, and ultimately, uh, we recognize here at G3 that God is sovereignly in control of all things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got a conference coming up uh, about. <laughs> about that, about that was that. a really good transition. That was good. What did yeah. you like that? Yeah, was that in your notes? No, it's not in my notes oh, just okay. yet. But yeah, very good. <laughs> We want you to join us uh, September 21st through the 23rd uh, at the G3 conference. It's a conference on the sovereignty of God. Don't you dare miss it. Uh, go to g3men.org. What about the 20th? The What's 20th? happening on the 20th? Well, there's some exciting stuff happening on the 20th. Really? Are you ready to talk about that just yet? Hey, look, it would be really good to talk about some things that are happening on the 20th, right? We're, yeah, we should. I mean, yeah. Should you get there early? You should, get, you should get there early. You absolutely should get there early. Yeah. We've got a pre-conference. Then we've got a couple of things. Yeah, yeah a couple things. of things stirring up. Something uh, for ladies. Something for ladies, yeah. something for men, something for everybody. You don't want to miss it. I don't want to lay out too much. I mean, you're the boss, so if you want to, if you got stuff you want to talk about, we'll, we'll we'll chat it up. But you do want to get there early, so mark your calendar for that. Set time aside. Get there early. You'll want to take a look. Be on the G3 app. Uh, be in the uh, on the uh, online with us at G3 because we'll we'll push all of our information uh, out in those spaces as it becomes available. Anything else you want to add before we wrap? No, I, I, again, I think that this was a really helpful conversation. Uh, again, I think um, I would just encourage all of you to go to g3men.org, and you can find these articles that we've been talking mm-hmm, about. Mm-hmm. You can you can see them linked there. It'll be helpful to you to just sort of read and digest and think about the subject that's before us. Absolutely, absolutely. You definitely want to connect with us here. Thank you for checking in with us. Like, subscribe, share, and by the way, if you if you like what you're hearing, definitely donate. We we appreciate all gifts of of love, any kind of offering that you want to do. You send it. Go to g3men.org forward slash give. Let me say that again. G3men.org forward slash give, or you can give to G3 on the app. We would appreciate that sincerely. Uh, With that said, thank you all for joining us in this edition of the G3 podcast.